You're listening to audio from First Christian Church. To find out more about us or to donate to our ministries, visit firstabq.org. We have come to this space and this time to worship God, the God who gives life, the God who gives hope, the God who is with us through good times and bad. And you know, it's sometimes pretty easy to uh, make a mess of our lives, or maybe we look around and we see the mess that everyone else is making of our lives, right? Well, in this space and in this time, for the last several weeks, we've been exploring how to lose your purpose. Now, we don't often need instruction on how to do that. We sometimes do that quite marvelously ourselves. But I think it helps to occasionally take a step back and treat it almost as if it were a pattern of rules that we could do. Steps that we could take where our lives begin to unravel and come apart at the seams. And in in week one, the first rule of losing your purpose is to believe that life doesn't matter, that your actions don't matter, there are no consequences, that life simply doesn't matter. In week two, we learned that you can lose your purpose by plotting evil. Not thinking about what's good, but just plotting things that will harm other people, that will help advance yourself. Which brought us to week three. If you really want to lose your purpose, then put me first. My needs, my wants, my desires above everyone else's desire and you will quickly find that your purpose has been lost and comes crashing down. And last week in this space, we got to rule number four, and that is to believe that the rubble of our lives is reality. That that rubble that we stand on is ours, and we protect and defend it from others, and our mess is ours and no one else is welcome. And almost to push away the people that God welcomes to his mountain. Well, this week I'm just going to lay it out there for what today's rule is, so that we'll know from the get-go that if you want to lose your purpose, then you lose hope. You just let go of hope. Now we're going to explore that, we're going to pick it apart, but you know, it's pretty easy to, to say that right now, right? It's pretty easy for us in this day, in this time, to lose hope as we continue to fight the pandemic, as we continue to have to deal with the impact of COVID, as we face job reductions, as we face uh, families that are compressed together into one small space or separated by distances of space that we're not supposed to travel, families trapped behind glass, or trapped within the same four walls. It's easy for us to lose hope. When our childcare falls through, when our job that we thought was going to be there is not there any longer, or when our marriage faces the strains that it's going to face whenever we have to be around one another all the time, right? It's pretty easy to walk this and see how our patients can run thin. Not only with the people that we love, but what about with strangers? Have you found yourself teeing off on a stranger lately? 
some innocent bystander who's on the other end of the line uh, or in line with you as you stand six feet apart at Walmart or Target and you just take the opportunity of your own frustration where your lost purpose is manifest in lost hope with them. Well, today I want us to go a different direction. Rather than just focus on losing purpose or losing hope, I want to provide a counter. I want us to go at this in a way that instills hope, that reinstalls it in our lives. And I want to do it by looking at this 3,000-year-old prophet Micah and his words that uh, are packed with uh, history and meaning and insight for us today. Insight about making God our leader, about having the vision of God for the world, of having the kind of vision of God for the people that God welcomes, and fourth, the unbounded power of women. Yep, you heard that right. We're going to look at women as, as, as superheroes, which will show up in Micah as we read it slowly today. All hope gets lost whenever we lose who our leader is. Follow with me as I read these words from Micah, chapter 4, verse 1 through 5. Some of these are from last week as well. In the days to come, the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be raised above the hills. People shall stream to it, and many nations shall come and say, Come, let's go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth instruction, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between many peoples and arbitrate between strong nations far away. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not raise up in war against other nation or lift up sword, neither shall they learn war anymore. But They shall all sit under their own vines and under their own fig trees, and no one shall make them afraid. For the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. For all peoples walk, each in the name of its God, but we walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. Now, last week we started with this passage of this grand view of the mountain of God coming up. And we we just took in this great view of God's mountain being raised above all. And the reminder in these verses is that if you want to lose your purpose, then you lose focus on who your real leader is. And it's Yahweh. Yahweh is our leader. Now, combing through these words, we find out some specific things that Yahweh does, where Yahweh becomes the one who instructs, who teaches Torah. Yahweh becomes the one that points the way, the path that we should walk in. And, believe it or not, Yahweh is the one that judges, not just between the insider peoples, not just between the Hebrew people, but God judges between all nations, because God is over all nations. Yahweh is the leader. 
Now, wise leaders, wise religious leaders will point to, at every opportunity, God. And they will take God on as their leader. That's true leadership, a form of followership behind God. I find it interesting that in this passage, we don't hear mentioned the priests. We don't hear mentioned the government officials. We hear God stepping into that role of instructing and pointing and teaching and judging. And those bad priests and those bad government officials are not to be the source of our focus. Yahweh God is our focus. Well, the vision is the second thing. I'm giving you four things today. One is, if you want to lose hope, then lose your leader. And the second thing is, if you want to lose hope, then lose the vision of God and what God's vision is for the world. Now, it probably rang upon your ears, those of you that have been around the, the scriptures for a long time, this passage about beating uh, swords into plows and beating uh, spears into pruning hooks. You're probably well familiar with that. Uh, this can be found in Isaiah as well. This is going to be found in our own UN headquarters and on many government buildings, not just in our country, but in other countries that turn their attention to the scriptures. Because it's a vision of what it looks like for nations to get along with one another. God's vision is for all people. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes I kind of offload this to God. Do you know what I mean? I think of this as God's work. That God is the one that's to be melting down these spears and melting down these swords. But that's not what the Scripture says. The Scripture says they do it. Very often we offload our responsibility to look at our instruments of harm and our role in them. To even begin to strategize, not for war, but to strategize for life. I guess you'd have to notice the contrast there about this, these, these metals being used to kill people with God's vision of the world, these metals are used to bring food and life, to sustain life. If you want to know what God's vision for the world is, that's it. Now, as a parent, I'm often trying to, to think about this. How do I, in my life, strategize for life and not strategize for war? And it comes up occasionally. Our kids loved Legos back in the day and had lots and lots of Legos. In fact, we still love Legos and still have them around. And they come by it honestly. I grew up playing with Legos when I was a kid and have been known to play with them since. But one of the sets that, that they had was a police set. And you've got the bad guys and you've got the, the police. And so constantly it was uh, whatever heist or scam or a robbery that the bad guys were doing, and the police cars would come, catch them, and put them in the prison, and there was a really cool prison where the bad guys could break out of prison. And so it was this constant cycle of uh, have a heist, have a theft, get the bad guys, put them in the jail, the bad guys break out of jail. And this has been, you know, more than a decade ago, and so I just, I, I noticed this and thought I would just ask a question, and so I asked Nathan, 
Is there another way we could teach these bad guys not to, to get thrown in jail? Is there some other way we could do that? And he just looked at me like I was crazy, of course, because it is a crazy kind of parent question. But it gets at what I'm talking about. How do we strategize? How do we think about having a vision for the world that teaches people, that helps them learn and strategize how to live their life differently? Sometimes it's helpful for us to step back and say, what contributes to the bad guys being the bad guys? Are they pressed to the limit where they can't feed their family? Are they being threatened for being thrown out of their home? And there's a lot of times where we're able to focus on the externals and just label someone as a bad guy or a bad gal without thinking about strategizing how we might transform or change their lives. What is it that contributes to the circumstances that lead someone to think, you know, my best option is to steal my baby and run away. My best option is to shoot the people that I love and go running car to car to car, right? It doesn't make sense. But what got them to that point? If you want to lose your purpose, if you want to lose your focus in life, then begin to think about how, well, not only is it no longer God's vision for the world, but I don't even share God's vision for the world. I've given up. How might we have eyes to see God's vision for the world? All right, let's keep going in Micah. Let's look in verse 6. We're reading it slowly today since it's a larger section. In that day, says the Lord, I will assemble the lame and gather those who've been driven away, those whom I have afflicted, the lame I will make the remnant, and those who are cast off a strong nation. The Lord will reign over them in Mount Zion now and forever. Okay, so third thing on how to lose your hope is to lose the, the kind of people that God has targeted. If you look at who God is gathering up here in this place, who are they? The lame, those that have been oppressed, those that have even been thwarted, judged, by their own actions, by God. Those are the people that God is gathering up to focus in on. Now, I don't know about you, but there are a lot of folks that I come across where they think God's idyllic vision is not for me. It doesn't fit me. God's vision is for people with a certain education level. God's vision is for people that have a certain number of possessions. Maybe it's a house. Maybe it's a car. God's vision doesn't include me because I don't have the kind of family background that makes it easy for me to follow God. And so they, they exclude themselves. They don't see themselves as included in what God is doing in the world. Well, this group of people, Micah identifies as the remnant. Now, I'm sure some of you have probably heard of the remnant. I'm going to ask you to just kind of nod if you are familiar with the Old Testament remnant notion. I see a few nods. It's an unusual uh, understanding, but it's the idea that God's people are so judged 
that they get dispersed and exiled. But God has this idea that he's going to grab a few of them, a remnant, and pull them back. Sometimes they're thought of as just like a tent peg. Sometimes they're thought of as just a corner of a piece of cloth that a tent is made from. But my favorite, and I'll warn you, it's the grossest one, comes from Amos chapter 3, verse 12. And it's the Old Testament, so you get a lot of gross metaphors. But here you have God functioning as a shepherd, and the shepherd sees that a lion has eaten a lamb. Okay? And so the shepherd does what, what you would do, I'm sure, goes to take the lamb out of the teeth of the lion. Right? That's what you would do, right? I mean, I would love to see this on television, but I'm trying to picture a shepherd that's bold and brazen enough to go and pull a lamb out of the teeth of the lion. Well, in Amos 3, verse 12, the shepherd ends up with two legs. Okay, now, does this qualify as a rescue in your book? If you're a shepherd and you're going to get a lamb and you get two legs out of the teeth of a lion, and that's all you've got, I mean, you could put it in a to-go box, uh, have a lunch, maybe later if you heat it up, but that doesn't seem like a rescue to me. This lamb is not going to be anyone's pet anymore. Well, God doesn't do some kind of tricky DNA or genetic modifying to bring back this lamb. But it's the idea of God taking spiritually and emotionally and physically from these pieces and bringing his people back. Now, sometimes we feel like we are that lamb. The now of the moment does not feel like we're being rescued. Half of us is down the throat of the lion, and the other half is in the hands of the shepherd. Brothers and sisters, all of us, our whole being will always be in the hands of the shepherd. Even when things seem desperate, even when they seem like disease, and what's going on with our kids, and what's going on with our job is too, too much, it's in those moments of suffering that an understanding of the remnant of what God is going to do to bring people back means something more to us. If you want to lose your purpose, then you lose the focus on who God is targeting, who God is after, those who are hurting, those who are suffering, and how he brings them together. Well, now we come to our most exciting one. I told you that there were going to be four, and the fourth one was about uh, a superhero of, of woman proportions. So let's, let's look at her. Verse 8. And you, O tower of the flock, hill of daughter Zion, to you it shall come. The former dominion shall come. The sovereignty of daughter Jerusalem. Now why do you cry aloud? Is there no king in you? Has your counselor perished? That pings have seized you like a woman in labor? Writhe and groan, O daughter of Zion, like a woman in labor. For now you shall go forth from the city and camp in the open country. You shall go to Babylon, and there you will be rescued. There the Lord will redeem you from the hands of your enemies. Now many nations are assembled against you, and they say, Let her be profane, and let our eyes gaze upon Zion. But they don't know the thoughts of the Lord. They don't understand his plan. 
but he has gathered them as sheaves to the threshing floor. Arise and thresh, O daughter of Zion. I will make your horn iron and your hooves bronze. You shall beat into pieces many peoples and shall devote their gain to the Lord, the wealth of the Lord to all the earth. Now this is a stunning and graphic portrayal here of women's power. Now, if you want something radical done, I suggest women. Women are some of the most untapped, underappreciated, unsung heroes among us. They are leaders in every right. And when it comes to difficult things, radical things, sometimes women are best equipped to do this. We men will say, oh no, melting down bullets and guns and bombs, that, that's not going to work. We men will say, well, yeah, that leader's pretty good, but I think I could do better. But women, women have a way of going in because of their experience, their perspective. I don't know if it's a, a matter of mothering, of taking care of people, of giving birth to life through your body or the perspective that they have. Women have so much to offer. And here in this story, Micah and God himself portrays the plight of the Israelite people, the Judean people, with this daughter Zion. Zion's the old term for Jerusalem. And we have a situation where in the now, daughter Zion is, things aren't going well because she's about to be oppressed, about to be drawn off into exile, and she's almost being taunted by God or, or by Micah. Where's your king? Where's your counselor? Do you hear echoes of what we've already talked about, about who your leader is and God's vision? Where's your leader now, they say, as this woman is writhing in pain that will be on a trip trip taken off to Babylon, exiled from her homeland. This is a place of great desperation. And worse is what comes in verse 11. And I don't know how to smooth coat this. I think a lot of Bible translations do. But what we have is a scenario where a town has been taken over and a woman is being looked at. It's daughter Zion, the personified people of God. And they're being gazed at and looked at by the nations. And I'd prefer for this video to be fuzzy. Because what they say is, let's profane her. We're gawking at her. Now, I don't like these kind of images of women in Scripture. I just don't like it. And it lets me know how far back this is. This is from a different era. This is from a different planet, sometimes it seems. And so you start to get riled up and think, I just don't like the way, this disturbing way that women are being portrayed. But Micah and God have chosen the image of a woman to show incredible strength in this moment of vulnerability. Because look at what, as this woman in this moment of strength and despair becomes like a superhero. Now, I know our superheroes would be like Ray Skywalker or Wonder Woman or Hermione, right? We have women that have strong uh, character and power. We're not going to recognize this woman right away. Look in verse 12. 
Their plan is destruction and profaning her. But they don't know God's plan. They don't know the thoughts of the Lord. Because He's gathered them like sheaves. Sheaves of wheat to come to the threshing floor. So what's really happening is all of these men, I mean, we can think of all ancient Near Eastern kings, as most of them are going to be men, they are gathered up like sheaves of wheat, and they think that they're about to take advantage of this woman, but what happens is she rises up with hooves of metal and horn of metal and cuts them all down, takes them to the threshing field. The promise is that God is with daughter Zion, and God will work through her. And again, it would be easy to flip this around and just think it's an underdog story where one people wars and wins over another. But if we did that, we wouldn't have read the whole chapter, right? We wouldn't have had the vision of God being the leader. We would not have clearly in our minds that God's vision is for all nations and all people. The intent is drawing them to Him. It's not an endorsement of war. It's a recognition of God's work for all. Okay, deep breath. So what? I mean, we can't hardly picture this superhero woman with you know, hooves and horns. What, what do we do with this? With Micah, we learn that we look to God. Even when we're being judged. Even when things are not going well for us. And we make efforts to change. Just to put it into our minds again, God is our leader. God's the one that's teaching us and instructing us and judging between us. If we want to lose our purpose, then we forget that God is our leader. And second, we are learning about what God's vision is for the world. We're having eyes to see the people that God wants to gather together. All nations. All peoples. And we have His target as our target, which is these people that have been oppressed, that are the underdogs, that are the ones that are beaten down. And also, we have daughter Zion, this inspiring woman that represents both men and women, the people of Israel who stands up to show the superhero strength of God within her. In times of stress, leaders look to God. Whether that's a leader of a country, or leader of a town, or leader of a home. For moms and dads, even though they're hardworking and juggling doing school at home, and doing work at home, and trying to keep things moving in the right direction, in times of stress, they're learning to lean into God. When we're dealing with sickness, when we're feeling like retirement is not all that it's cracked up to be, we need moments like this to sit down and to breathe in who really is the leader. A lot of times the first thing to go is our prayer and our turning to Scripture. And so I want to commend you for being here today, whether that space is virtual or your physical presence. You are making it a priority to breathe in the Word of God, to seek God, to be the kind of people that follow Jesus. At first, there is a tremendous amount 
of reason for us to be hopeful and optimistic. Last week we affirmed our elders. All of them were affirmed in the high 90s. High, high 90s. Like, just, that's amazing. That's amazing to me. And a commending, uh, I want to commend you as supporters and followers of your leaders. We have an amazing ministry staff here that I am delighted to get to work with. Very talented, very capable, who are creatively trying to think about how we exist during this time. And you. You're the most resilient ones. You're the ones that have been at this for a long, long time. Continuing to serve. Continuing to see the people around you who most need help. And move in and draw people with you. Through your Bible class, through your group, you are focused in on opportunities to serve and doing God's work by the things that you give and what you do. That gives me great courage. And so, normally we stand. I'm going to have a stand for this last verse that I want to read again. So let's stand, if you're able, in verse 5. In Micah, this is something of a liturgical refrain. And so I want us to hear it and hear the language that's focused on all the nations and the gods that they may pursue and who our God is. Verse 5. For all the people's walk, each in the name of its God. But we, we will walk in the name of Yahweh our God forever and ever. Amen. Let's bow. God, we stand in your presence acknowledging that we are your servants and you are our leader. We thank you for the vision that you've given us of this world, a vision that includes all peoples everywhere. Help us to have that vision. Father, would you help break us down whenever we may not see that target or see that aim? And may you breathe within us the strength of daughter Zion, that we can rise up to be your people in this moment and at this time. We thank you through Jesus who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen.